my title for this morning is um, When Good is Bad and When Bad is Good. And because there's a lot of times in life when we go through life and we experience what we would say are really bad things. Something bad happens, we're going through a difficult time in our life, there's all kinds of other things that roll in on us, and we say, that's really bad. But yet from God's perspective in eternity, God looks at it and says, what you think is going to be bad for you is actually going to turn out to be good for you. And sometimes it's just the opposite that happens. We look at something, and particularly at Christmas time, and we go, oh, this is really good. And God says, "Mm, no, honey, that's not so good for you. Trust me. And God has a different perspective on it than what we do. And so we, we have this thing that's going on because Christmas really becomes an interesting time for us. It draws out all kinds of unknown expectations and pressures and emotions that are very unique to this time of year. I mean, there's stuff going on now that we don't have kind of washing over us the rest of the year. I mean, when did... Okay, who started listening to Christmas music um, at the beginning of November. Don't be shy. Put your, there we go right there. Yep, see? There's honesty here. The rest of you are liars. How many after Thanksgiving you said, okay, time to turn on the Christmas stuff? All right, so we've got Christmas going on since Thanksgiving. And here's the crazy thing about what we get from the Christmas is we get these songs that are speaking about goodwill toward men, joy to the world, God rest ye merry gentlemen. The rest of you... Forget it. Um, The song that's getting most of the attention this year is Baby, It's Cold Outside. Okay, we'll just move on. We'll leave that one behind till another day. Um, Now, what happens with all these? We've got all these songs that are supposed to put you in kind of a holiday spirit, a holiday good mood. You're supposed to be getting into these things. You're supposed to be experiencing peace. You're supposed to be enjoying the winter wonderland and the wonderment of Jesus in the manger. And then you take a look at the list of gifts that you're supposed to buy. Your blood pressure goes through the roof because you're going like, I don't have the finances to buy all of these gifts. And yet we feel obligated to go ahead and buy them all. And so we've We've got this weird thing going on. I recently read about someone who describes this season in what he called the intensifying dynamic of Christmas. And what he meant by that is Christmas is kind of the time of year when our highs feel higher and our lows feel lower. Some of you are going to be on a Christmas high this year because maybe for the first time, You're having Christmas with your newborn child. Maybe you're a grandparent having Christmas for the first time with grandchildren. Maybe you've made new friends and you're excited about what those friendships will will bring to this year. Maybe you're married and this is your first Christmas as a married couple. Some of you have loved ones who are coming in from a, a far distance, a long ways away, and it's going to be great just to fill the house with all of the people together. And so some of you maybe even got a new job this year. 
And, and you're going through and experiencing some great things. You feel like you're in better circumstances. And Christmas feels like a, a chance to celebrate the high that you're on in a sense of goodness and life. But Christmas also has this strange power of making our lows feel lower. It can bring up what's broken or what's missing or the things in your life we actually don't want to experience or go through. Maybe this year you lost your job and now you're not sure what the future holds. Maybe this year you've experienced the end of a relationship or the loss of a loved one or just a change in your health, something that was un- wasn't expected. Maybe this year it feels like last year, which felt like the year before that, and it felt like the year before that. And so you're not really sure how this year is going to be any different. And so it almost comes with a bit of cynicism as we go into the next year. We all face situations and circumstances we don't ask for. We don't anticipate. We, they come, but we don't have the option to give them back. They don't come with a gift receipt. Do you know what a gift receipt is? If, you know, if you're from somewhere other than Wyoming, you probably know what that is, is that when you buy a present, you ask for a gift receipt because you're pretty sure that the present you just bought, they're not going to like, and so you give them the receipt with the gift so they can take the receipt and the gift back and get something different. And it works out wonderful, and so you're off the hook. But we get circumstances in life that don't come with a gift receipt. You're stuck with the circumstance that you've been given. Here's what's really interesting. The Christmas story is one of those stories. We have kind of uh, somewhat romanticized all sorts of the Christmas story by doing all kinds of stuff. But the Christmas story is one of those with an unwanted gift kind of story. Now you think about it. Mary's got the burden of bearing, of being the mother of Jesus. She was only engaged to Joseph when the angel Gabriel showed up and goes, hey Mary, don't be afraid, I got some really great news. You're a virgin and you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have a baby and it's going to be the son of God. Go team Jesus. Mary's like, okay. And right beside her, with her the whole way through, is her fiancé, Joseph. And we're going to dig into Joseph here in a little bit today, but Joseph's story often gets kind of overlooked in the Christmas narrative. We often don't think too much about his role. In fact, Joseph is a pretty quiet figure in all of this. He's not a man of many words. He's, you know, uh, the tough, rugged, silent kind. In fact, in the entire New Testament, there's not an actual recorded word of something that Joseph says. We have stuff that we see about Joseph, but we don't hear what he has to say. So as we're going to see this morning, Joseph was not a passive bystander in the otherwise miraculous story of Jesus. Joseph faced for for him what was the most unwanted gift he could ever imagine. His response changed his life. It changed the Christmas story and its power to cha- it has the power to change your life as well. So we're going to read this part of the Christmas story about Joseph and it comes out of Matthew's gospel. So here's what it says. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, let's just stop right there. I want to kind of underline that, give you a thought about that, because it's a just or righteous man. And we're going to come back and talk about that in a minute. But because Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But he, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and and he called his name Jesus. That's Joseph's story in a nutshell. That's it right there. And a lot of you have already heard this story. Maybe you've read this story. You've had a part of it uh, being in church over the, over the years. It's, it's nothing that's really new to us. But we could miss the controversy, almost the explosive language that Matthew brings to us right here. And he starts off with it, starts the story with this statement. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ the Messiah came about. He's the, 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 the anointed one, the expected one, the person who all of Israel was waiting for. It came about. That's the preface to the story. And then he says, his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph or was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, that, that whole betrothal thing is quite different from an engagement in our time. Today, engagement is primarily a starry-eyed couple planning an event woo, that's going to bankrupt their mom and dad. Yep. June 15th. Takes on a whole new meaning for me. Here's the thing about um, Mary and Joseph. They didn't meet on Match.com. They didn't become friends and then more than friends, then kissing friends who refused to admit that they were dating. They didn't do that story. Matter of fact, here's their story. They were pledged by their families to be married to each other. Joseph probably... 18 years old. Mary could have been as young as 13 years old. And they were pledged together. They knew about each other, but they really didn't know each other. They didn't run in the same circles. They didn't do the same things. Joseph was a carpenter. Mary helped her mom and dad by going to the well and getting water and taking care of siblings. And so they really didn't know each other, but they came together. They betrothed or pledged to be married. And it had the same legal weight as an actual marriage, these two parties 
were referred to as a husband and wife in a betrothal. We see that in this story because they're called husband and wife already, even though they're in this period of what we would call engagement. And they could only be separated by a certificate of divorce. This, in this betrothal period, which would have lasted at least a year, maybe even a little more, they didn't live together. They didn't shack up. They didn't consummate their marriage, which means the one thing that wasn't supposed to happen was pregnancy, which then presents a really very serious dilemma for Joseph. And I can't underestimate just how serious this dilemma was for him. Now, Matthew notes that Joseph was a just or righteous man. We'll read that and we'll think, okay, he's a really good guy. You know, he's the kind of guy that that is really kind to his neighbors. He likes to go to church. He's a good, honest kind of a fella. And we really like that kind of a guy. And that's what we think of when we read just or righteous kind of guy. We just think he's really awesome. And we kind of use it as a technical term, a form for someone's reputation. And they did the same thing in that day. So when it says he was a righteous man, they were identifying who he was. And this phrase, righteous man, is what they would have called in Hebrew a Sadiq. Now a Sadiq was the kind of guy who was known for being devoted and faithful. They were uh, completely given into the law of Moses. And, and they lived to the very last detail of the Torah, their Bible. It wouldn't, they wouldn't eat lunch or, or eat unclean foods. They wouldn't hang out with disreputable kind of people, like shepherds, for instance. They wouldn't violate the Sabbath laws. They wouldn't ignore the holy days of Israel. A Sadiq, a righteous man, would not enter into a marriage with a woman who is pregnant, with rumors spreading about where this child would have come from. That's not what a righteous guy does. That's not what a Sadiq does. And Joseph is that guy. He's a righteous man, and he's a Sadiq. It was the highest honor a simple carpenter from Nazareth could ever have achieved in his life. And he worked hard for this reputation. He was known for this reputation. It was Joseph's dream. Imagine his vision he had for his future. Imagine the vision he had for his marriage, the vision he had for his family, to be known around this faithfulness that he had, this devotion to God and God's law. He built his life to be that guy. And then then imagine what Joseph experienced when he first heard the news. The Bible doesn't tell us that Mary went to Joseph and said, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. He heard it probably from the rumors that were floating around town. And now he goes over to Mary to find out. Imagine the conversation. You're this just, righteous, Sadiq guy that lives in honor and reputation. And now you're betrothed is pregnant and you have to have that conversation. And you go to have the conversation with her. And just, you can imagine how it went because you can hear Mary explaining it this way. Hi, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, guess what? I'm pregnant. Hey, but don't worry. 
I haven't been with another man. I'm still a virgin. Really? And yeah, it's from the Holy Spirit. I'm giving birth to a miracle of miracles. You ever hear of Ava Maria? That's going to be about me. And it's going to be timeless. Joseph, aren't you so excited? This is from the Holy Spirit. No. And he wasn't. There wasn't anything that got him excited about this. Because you just have to think that everything about his future changed in that moment. The moment he heard his fiance was pregnant. It was a big deal. A baby conceived by the Holy Spirit? Even if that's true, who's going to believe it? No one. The only other explanation was that Mary had been with another man, or at least that's how the story is going to go, and that's how the story went. In that day, the storyline had serious and clear consequences. In Deuteronomy 22, the punishment for women caught in adultery is that the, the woman would be brought to the house of the father and the men of the town would stone her to death. This is the fate that could be for Mary. Even in Jesus' day, the punishment wasn't often practiced. But public exposure to shame and disgrace would have been. In that day, a woman caught in adultery. She would have been dragged into the town square. She would have been stripped of all of her clothes. They would have cut her long hair short. And they probably would have kicked or beat her. They may not have killed her, but they would have brought harm to her. And those of you who know the stories about Jesus know that a woman just like that was brought and placed at Jesus' feet. A very similar manner. This is real. This is real life for Joseph. This isn't something that's made up. And by the way, have you ever thought, why in the world would Joseph take his nine-month pregnant wife with him on a trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Because he had to go and register in Bethlehem because that's his, his um, family town, son of David. That's where David was from. And he had to make the trek. But the law did not require him to take his wife. His wife did not have to be registered in Bethlehem. It was just the man. And yet he took her with him. Why would he do that? Take her in that kind of a condition. I'm telling you right now, my wife at you know one month pregnant would have said, no way, Jose. You're on your own. I think that Joseph was concerned for Mary's well-being. Because everybody thought she was an adulteress. There might be harm that would come to her. So he's like, baby, I'm not leaving you alone. You're coming with me. And she's like, okay. All right, let's go on this little trip. So the law was painfully clear for a righteous man, for a man like Joseph, for a Sadiq. What the law says you do, you do. So what did Joseph do? In an act of actual incredible grace and compassion, he decided to spare Mary from public disgrace and divorced her quietly. He could have subjected Mary to public shame, disgrace, and whereby exonerated himself and protected his reputation. But he chose to do something far more gracious, 
So make no mistake about it. Even in the act of compassion, Joseph is disappointed. He is frustrated. He clearly wants this situation, this storyline to be over. When Matthew says that Joseph considered this, what that word considered can also be translated as is that he got frustrated. He was fuming. He was angry. In in fact, this word only appears one other time in the New Testament, and it's when Jesus is confronting the spiritual leaders who are just these horrible people, and he says to them, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? See, Jesus knew what the entertaining of something was. And so, Joseph, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart as you process what's going on with Mary? I'll tell you why. It's because his story, his future, his hopes, his dreams have crashed right before his very eyes. We just think of this part of, as a nativity scene that we set up on our mantles at home. This is real. He's frustrated. He's hurt. His mind is swirling with frustration over where his life is going and the turn that it has just taken. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place like that? The moment when the news came, the moment when circumstances changed for the worse and it hurt you the most, when you were found out, when you found out you lost your job, when that person said, I don't love you anymore, when you watched a child or a friend or a loved one face a situation that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, it's in seasons like that, it's so easy to fall into discouragement or cynicism or bitterness. We hear the words of Christmas songs about being merry, about having joy and peace, but they just kind of sort of lose their meaning, which is why we have to hear the real story of Christmas, the first unwanted gift story of Christmas. It's the thing that, that we say, and Joseph says to God, this is bad, this is really bad. And God looks at us and says, no, this is going to be really good. Really, really good. And so we take a look at the gifts that we have under the tree, all stacked up, and we go, oh, this is going to be really good. And God's going, oh, it's not going to be that good. You see, we get things kind of mixed up. We have a different perspective than what God has. The Bible tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much different than our ways. And here we have Joseph, who's going through life now and going like, man, I don't know what God has in store, and I don't know what's going to happen. But because we have the same kind of thoughts, we need to hear what happened. Because we will not make sense of what's happening in our lives if we don't see through the lens of what happened at Christmas. So what happened to Joseph? In the midst of this moment of disappointment, in the midst of the moment of discouragement, when his heart was discouraged and his mind is racing, it's in that moment that Joseph hears from God. Amazing. I want you to notice that. 
when he least expects it, God shows up. When life is not, he, God doesn't necessarily show up when life is tidy and put together, not when Joseph is calm, cool, collected, not when he's worshiping in church, not when all the things are good, not when all is calm and bright, but when he's closest to disappointment, God shows up. And here's what we need to see in this. It's when we are closest to disappointment that God is actually closest to us. It's when you are closest to that feeling of disappointment in life that God draws close to you, is ready to speak to you, is ready to say something. And the question is this, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to hear? Are you willing to receive what God has for you? Now, I know in my life, when disappointment comes, when those moments come, I really don't want to listen anymore. Matter of fact, um, if you're um, not a guest here, if you, you know us, we've walked through a huge disappointment in life this year. And I've got to be honest with you. I was saying, God, where are you? Why don't you show up? I, I, I believe, God, that you are far away right now, that you don't care, that you clearly could have shown up, but you didn't. And now I'm in this situation. My family's in this situation. So guess what, God? You had your chance. We're going to do it ourselves. We'll pull it together. We'll pull ourselves out of this. And by the way, God, thank you very much, but I'm done listening. That's what happens when we hit the tough circumstances of life, the difficult things of life, we don't get it. That's what we see in this story. When we stop listening, it can radically impact what happens next because the Christmas story only moves forward as Joseph hears from God. And I can't stress this enough for you this Christmas. You need to make time. If you're not hearing from God, if you're decided to give up on listening to God, then you need to make some time. You need to set some time aside to go and listen to what God says. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be crazy over the next couple of days. I don't know where you're going to carve time out. I su- here's my suggestion. Because we're going to do Christmas Eve tomorrow, Christmas Eve service. You're going to go home and you're going to celebrate and you're going to have some food, and you're going to have some fun, and you're going to have some great times. Then in the morning, you're going to have Christmas breakfast. Then you're going to open up gifts, and it's just going to be crazy all day long. So, where do you find time? Well, probably about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Go lock yourself in the bathroom. Busy, and you and God can have time to talk. You turn the fan on, you can talk out loud, nobody's going to hear you. It'll be just fine. But you need to take the time to start listening to God. Because after all, when you're so close to disappointment, God is drawing close to you. And He's closer than you think. That's the crazy part. We think that God has disappeared. We think that God has left us. We think that God is nowhere to be found. And He's right there. And what He has for you is He has... He has a word for you in this season. And I'm, I would 
love to hear what God's word is for you this evening. He had a particular word for Joseph. So what does God say to Joseph through the angel? He says three things. The first, he says, don't be afraid. He says, take Mary to be your wife and name Jesus as your son. Those are the three things, three words that God gave him. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the next two decisions that Joseph is going to make are going to be the most costly decisions of his entire life. For Joseph to take Mary as his wife and Jesus as his son is going to basically mean he's binding himself to a woman who was thought to be an adulteress and to a child who is called an illegitimate little bastard. That's what Jesus was known as. And that's what Joseph was attaching himself. The cost of this in terms of his reputation, his life, and his future is hard to describe. It's so significant. And there's just a few things we need to consider about this. For one, just none of his friends would show up to the wedding. He's still going to marry her. She's great with child. They're still going to get married, but they wouldn't have shown up to the wedding because it would have been a disgrace. His family may have shunned him or at worst, completely disowned him. Joseph, the boy who had always been known for doing the right thing, being the good kid, being the faithful one, being devout to God when others weren't, would never again be thought of as a righteous man, a sadiq. This is how it played out in his life. And this is how it was attached to Jesus. Because in Jesus' ministry, he's preaching in his hometown of Nazareth. That's where Joseph grew up. That's where his grandparents were. Maybe even his great-grandparents in Nazareth. His family was from there. He was known among there. And when Jesus came to preach, what did they say about him? They said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Not Joseph's son, which would have been the customary way that you talk about a little Jewish boy, an Israelite, a little kid, a little boy. You would have said, like the angel said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David. But that's not what they said about Jesus. This is Mary's son. Where's Joseph? Joseph has faded off into obscurity by this point. We don't know what happened. You know, it cost Joseph everything. And it's interesting that after the Christmas story, we don't hear that much from Joseph. He's rarely mentioned. He kind of fades into the background. And he's still faded in the background. I mean, when we talk about the Christmas story, we don't talk much about Joseph. He's just kind of the strong, silent type. And, and he's so much faded into the background that today when you go home and you're watching football, and in the last seconds of the game, and the quarterback launches a bomb to the end zone, and the guy catches that pass, nobody says, that was an incredible Hail Joseph. <laughs> if you didn't get it, come and see me afterwards, I'll help you out. <laughs> but I will tell you this, there is one person that never forgot what Joseph did. 
the child he took in, the little boy he called his son, that boy who never forgot what he saw in his father, the son who saw his father's righteousness that surpassed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He didn't just follow the letter of the law. He loved the law of God. The son who watched his father come to the defense of a woman, his mother, who supposedly committed adultery and had compassion on her. The son who watched his father take on the shame and disgrace and scandal of another so that they could live. Sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Where does that leave you and me? When life brings unwanted gifts, it's unwelcome circumstances. I think the angel's instructions to Joseph are still relevant for us today. They may be a little bit differently worded, but they have a relevancy for our life. So the first thing that he said is, don't be afraid. And so no matter how hard it gets, no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter how much it looks like life may seem over or the future is in doubt or it's this new normal, God says, don't be afraid. And I know in the season like, like that, it can be easy to fall to the victim of our fears to think the worst is still to come. And God clearly doesn't care. But Christmas changes that with the coming of Jesus, who is God with us. That is, God who isn't far away. God who isn't disinterested. God is close right now. Even if you can't see him, even if you can't feel him, he is still closer than you think. Jesus never promised us that there wouldn't be storms. He doesn't say that there, we wouldn't experience unwanted gifts, unwelcome circumstances. But he promises that, there, that we would have God with us, that he would be there as God with us. That is why you don't have to be afraid. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're afraid of, you don't have to. You're not alone. God is with you. Number two, the angel said to Mary, take a risk. When the, Mary, when the, when the angel came to Mary, he said, um, to, I mean, when he came to Joseph, he said to Mary, take Mary as your wife. Take a risk. This was the biggest risk of Joseph's entire life. It, when the angel came to him, he's basically saying, hey, this is really going to be risky. You have to take a risk if you're going to do this. You can't just be half in. You have to be all in. You can't just hedge anything on this. You have to give it everything you have to. You have to risk on something that you can't see the future of. And you have to believe that God is going to do something good. So go ahead and take a risk. Because God can redeem this. When we're in a tough spot, God wants us to take a risk. To step out in faith. Because he wants to demonstrate his redemptive power in your life but it only comes if you're willing to take a risk. Here's the thing. You, if you're not taking a risk, you've already considered that maybe the conclusion of your life has been written. The conclusion of your life has not been written. You need to step out and take a risk. So what does that look like for you? I mean, if you think about Joseph, what, was, what, what do we see in this story? Joseph had to make a decision. 
it, it's going to alter the entire course of history. His decision in what he does is going to alter the course of history. He, he doesn't even see it. Joseph doesn't. He, he has to take a risk. And he, it tells us, and it tells you, it tells me that our faith matters. Our courage matters. Our perseverance in the face of difficulty matters. And God will use it. God will honor it. He did it for Joseph when he took a risk, and he'll do it for you. So take a risk. Number three, commit yourself to Jesus. For some of you, this just means commit, recommit yourself to Jesus. When the angel says, you shall name him Jesus, that's like a legal act. That's a legal commitment. Joseph is then and thereby binding himself to this little boy. His future is for, for now forever tied to the fate and the future of this child. And there's no going back. There's no gift receipt. There's no returning it. I have a question for you. As much as it cost him, as much as it, there were consequences, as much as we see Joseph's story drifting quietly into the background, do you think he ever regretted it? Do you think he regretted this decision? Do you think he regretted seeing Jesus grow up? Do you think he regretted seeing this boy grow strong and wise? Do you think he ever regretted all the conversations, all the laughter, all the time spent together, all the long walks, all the conversations we don't hear, all the anticipation of who this boy would become? Do you think he regretted the moment that he saw and realized that this child born in scandal and surrounded by rumors was actually the savior of the world? If he thought back just to that moment and thought, what if I didn't? What if I hadn't? What if I had given into my fear? What if I had not taken a risk? What if I hadn't been willing to commit myself to the fate of this little boy who I don't even understand? In that moment, he would have realized the challenges he faced, the difficulties that were real, and believe me, they were real, were nothing in comparison to the glory he saw in the Son who became his Savior. So this Christmas, do you think taking a risk to put aside your fears, to take a step of faith where you feel called and commit yourself to Jesus, even if it doesn't make sense what that's going to look like? Do you think you're going to regret it the day, the moment you discover God actually had a plan in mind, that he was doing something you couldn't see. He said, when you said this is bad, he said, no, this is really good. And that there was redemption and there was hope and there was life in what we thought was bad. And he took what was the worst thing we ever thought and he made it great. Whatever it is you're walking through this season, whatever is on your plate this Christmas, it's possible this season or this struggle may become the moment you discover is God is more present than you feel, more capable than you expect. 
this season, this struggle, even though it feels scary, overwhelming, could be the moment you find hope and peace and contentment like never before. It is possible. God could use just one little act of faith, one little step you take this season to change the course of your life and maybe the course of history. It certainly was the case of Joseph. Here's the thing. I've seen God do this. I've seen God do this in my own life. I've seen God do this in the lives of the people that I've loved. I've seen God do this in many of your lives where you've taken a small step of faith and God has rushed in and has taken what seemed to be absolutely the most devastating thing of your life and like Joseph, he turned it around and made it the best thing ever. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's scary, even if there's pain and frustration, if you will trust him, he will change your life. So don't be afraid. There's a risk you need to take. It's only going to work if you tie yourself to that little baby in the manger named Jesus. If you tie yourself to the fate of Joseph's son, who was born in this season we call Christmas. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you to take a moment right now. I want you to take a moment and I want you to have a conversation with God. You don't have to lock yourself in the bathroom. You don't have to worry about who's sitting in front of you, beside you, or behind you. It's now just the time where you get to funnel in and you have this conversation with God where you're saying, I need to take a risk. I need to take a risk on the person that's caused me a lot of pain that I would love them right now. I need to take a risk on being real with my family. I need to trust. I need to connect myself with Jesus. So we're just going to take a couple minutes. It's just going to be silent. It's just going to be you talking with God. Jesus, we trust you. We bear our lives before you. We come before you with all of who we are, all of who we're not, all that we fear, all that we hope. Help us to take a risk to trust you more right now. Just the risk that we need to. Jesus, we're so grateful that you came into our world, into our mess, into our lives that are filled with scandal and shame and rumor and disappointment that you are the God who is with us. You are the God to walk with us each step of the way. We're so grateful for Christmas and for your life and for your love. We are so thankful for the example of Joseph who when he heard your father speak, he responded in obedience even though it cost him everything. Restore. Restore us in relationship with you. Restore us, God, to one another. Restore the wonderment of the Christmas story of the, of the Savior who was born in the manger 
but died on the cross for our sins. Come, change our lives, change our hearts, change our circumstances, change our faith. We commit all this to you in the great name of Jesus. Amen.